Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Grab your Bibles and uh, turn to Matthew chapter 6. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There's a Bible in the pew in front of you. And if you're using one of those, it's on page 964, okay? And uh, that's where we're going to be. While you guys are turning there, uh, a couple other things uh, I forgot to mention earlier, as if I didn't already mention enough to you. One is, next Sunday is uh, once a year we like to celebrate uh, Camo Sunday as we get ready close to the sportsman's dinner. So next Sunday, dress in camo and show up. It'll be fun. So just kind of a unique thing, and we're going to do that. All right. So next week is Camo Sunday. I forgot to mention that earlier. And uh, then the second thing is... Uh, uh, Vernon grabbed me before service. Where are the Thomases at? Where, where are the Thomases at? Right there. Their 52nd wedding anniversary is on Tuesday. So, praise the Lord. Uh, we always want to celebrate that. And uh, celebrate the faithful testimony of uh, marriage relationships that continue to go the distance. And uh, just praise the Lord for that. Um, so, if you get a chance... Just uh, say congratulations to them. Matthew chapter 6. And if you are joining us uh, for the first time or uh, recently, and uh, welcome to those of you online, by the way. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. And you better have your Bibles too. That's, I'm going to say that. Um, I want your eyes on Scripture today. And uh, we've been going through this series entitled, uh, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. And uh, this, in this series, uh, Lord, Teach Us to Pray, we have been navigating through Scripture and just asking that question. How does Scripture teach us to pray? How do we do that? Uh, biblically, what does that look like? And the reason, uh, I always like to have a developed need as our elders gather. Um, and if you didn't know this, uh, know this about how uh, we determine what, is talked about on a Sunday morning every year on uh, the fall, the year before our leadership team sits down and we spend an extensive amount of time in prayer and consideration, looking at where the church is and asking the question as we step into this next year, where do we want to go? Where, where do we need to go? Where do we need to go in God's word in order to equip and shepherd the church according to where we're at, according to where culture is at, according to where God has called us to be. And so our sermon calendars for the year are established in the fall of the year before. And uh, one of the amazing things about that is that means as we step into every season, as we walked through uh, 2020 and 2021, all of those messages, we just saw God's hand of direction where we never could have anticipated what was going to happen. But God did, and He placed messages and texts right in the time frames that 
no man could have ever predicted that's where we would be. And so it's exciting to see how God moves in that way. Um, but when it comes to why, there, why, why there's a need to learn in this, how do we pray biblically? This is one of the weakest areas in the Western church. It doesn't matter where you go. It's, it's everywhere where we struggle with this. And if we are not careful, prayer becomes a transitional element that we use on a Sunday morning or in our homes to shift us into another thing. And that is far from what prayer is supposed to be. And so understand this, that we could, we could exhaust everything to do with prayer in Scripture and it be completely pointless unless we actually seek to pray. You can be someone who knows a lot about prayer and never actually practice it. In the same way, you could be someone who knows a lot about going to the gym, but you never actually go, okay? And it's a really good correlation. The only way those muscles strengthen is when we actually seek to apply it. And so I just want to challenge you as we navigate these things, really strive to apply those things, okay? Really strive to focus in and actually bring application to what we're hearing the Word of God say, okay? And today, we're, we're continuing in this series, but we're, we're shifting the focus a little bit. In the past few weeks, we've been in some different places in Scripture, and now, for the next three weeks, I want us to just look simply at what can we learn about prayer from the life and ministry of Jesus Himself, So the next three weeks, we're going to look at that. We're going to look at passages uh, that focus in on Jesus praying and what can we what can we learn from his example? Uh, Today, we're going to be in Matthew six and looking at how Jesus answered the question that his disciples asked him when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And we're going to look at how he answered them. So be diligent in soaking this in. But don't allow this time to be the only time that you intersect with these truths. Because if that's all we do, church, we will never be who God has called us to be in Christ. If all we ever do is come to this building and open our Bibles here and pray here and talk about Jesus and the gospel here, we miss the mission field that God has placed every single one of you in. And whether you believe this to be true or not, every single one of you who claims the name of Jesus is a missionary sitting here today and sitting online today. You are a missionary for the gospel of Jesus. As Scripture would say, you are an ambassador. You represent another kingdom in the kingdom that you dwell in. And that kingdom is the kingdom of God. And so may we shepherd that in each other. That's what it means when it says our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ. It's not about any individual. It's about the church as a whole. So take that to heart as we step in today and look at this text. Now, I, I have two slides for you today, and that's it. Because there's so much in this text that we're going to sit in a few verses and My prayer is glean just a ton. And so I want to read this passage 
And then I want to pray that God would open our eyes and then we're just going to piece this apart and see the depth of how Jesus responded in a passage that oftentimes just becomes really familiar and we lose the depth of. So I'm going to start in verse 7. And we're really going to focus on verses 9 through 13. But I want to start in verse 7. It says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, we come to you today and we confess a need that as your church, Lord, we fall miserably short in our dependence upon you. And when we choose to come to you and in the content of our prayers. God, we are sinful people who are in need of forgiveness. And we know, according to your word, you have offered us forgiveness in Christ. And so I ask that we would approach this with a humility, recognizing that it is your word that is the final authority in your church. God, that it is your truth that we yearn to follow after. May that be so. May that not merely be words rolling off of our tongues, but truly convictions of our heart and that it would transform the culture of your church to be exactly who you've called us to be right here in Fulton County, Illinois. All of these things, Lord, for your glory, for your honor, for your praise alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, at the very beginning of this prayer, I love how Jesus is so direct when he simply says, pray then like this. And one of the dangers of a passage like this is that we often become accustomed to just saying things without actually taking depth, an in-depth look at what is this actually saying? And I'm curious, just as a kind of poll to see how many of you have heard this as the Lord's Prayer before? How many of you have heard it? Okay, a majority of you have. And in fact, there's some places where this becomes just part of what's called liturgy, where it's just recited over and over and over and over again. Now, reciting something multiple times over and over is great because it helps it to stick and take root. But here's one thing I want you to note. Your ability to recite scripture means nothing for your ability to apply it to your life. It takes another level of introspection in evaluating who am I and what does God's word say I should become and then devoting yourself to moving in a direction that God's word is calling you to move. And if we, our statement of faith affirms that we believe the Bible is the final authority. That means at the end of the day, it's not Pastor Matt or Pastor Brandon or Pastor Drew or the elder team that determines what the final say is in a matter. It is God's word. And it's one of the distinctions that you might find from other belief systems is that 
we as a church body believe that God's word is the final say, and it is, uh, as Second uh, Timothy would say, all scriptures breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebu- rebuke, for correction, and for training in righteousness. This, this is what matters. Um, and so when we start piecing this apart and looking at this, there's so much here. There's so much here. And I was reminded once again this week just how much there is here and the richness of God's word. Oh, my goodness, church family, if you are not in your Bibles, you are missing a feast. Oh, and and to sit in stillness, I, I can tell you honestly that you will you, you if you take the time, you can you will come to lose lose track of time. Immersing yourself in God's word, it truly is living and active and powerful and comforting and convicting and hopeful all at the same time. And so I I just say that to encourage you to unpack this with me. Um, And I'm just going to kind of piece this one statement at a time. And the first one is is simply this. Our father in heaven. Okay, now. There's something really interesting about this, and that's the first word in this sentence. And we can we could spend a whole sermon just on this one word, which is the word our, okay? Our Father. And the reason I highlight that is because how often uh, does our prayer life become about one person? It's about me. Whether we admit this or not, so often when we come to the Lord in prayer, our tendency is to pray this more like, My Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And you may look at that and go, well, okay, it's corporate. Yes, it's corporate. What does that mean? It means that the truth of this and how it's meant to be applied is that it's meant to be applied corporately. That God is not a God of the individual in the scope of limiting who he is or you or me getting to define who he is. He is the God of creation, the God of the world, and he is the God of his church, our father. Corporately to be able to sit with each other and resonate and go, ah, oh, he's not he's not just my father, but he's yours and he's yours. He's our this is this is our father. And you know what is even more powerful than that is when we recognize this is corporate. Guess what that means for us? It means that we're family. It's our father together. Not, well, you have your father and you have your father and oh, no, 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 no. This is this is our father the second word in here is also of great significance. This doesn't limit this to be some unapproachable entity. It doesn't say our master. It doesn't say our unapproachable God. It doesn't say our most high king. And while we could apply those things in the character of who God is in other aspects of scripture, the emphasis here that God is personal And he's our father. He's a father who's approachable. He's a father who has loved you to the point of giving his own son for your salvation. 
And so at the very beginning, when Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, he says, pray like this. It's corporate, our, it's personal, our Father. And there's an intimacy here. Abba, our Abba, our Daddy, our Father. This next small portion, there's authority here. Our Father is not wandering the earth looking for somewhere to stay. Our Father is not anxiously awaiting what's going to happen in the earth. Our Father is not stressed out when things seem to be in chaos around us. No, our Father is in heaven. He is a God of authority. He sits on the throne and Scripture says the earth is a footstool for His feet. And I love the imagery of that because God is not pacing around up in heaven. Oh my goodness. Matt messed up again. What are we going to do? Oh my goodness, the church is in chaos. What are we going to do? Oh my goodness, there is a disease rippling through all of the world. What is happening? This is not our Father. He is in control. He is the authority figure who is over all things. And He is also the one to whom we will give an account of all things. Our Father who is in heaven. The second section of this. Hallowed be your name. This word hallowed. If you make notes in your Bible, this is really just a word for honor. Hallowed be your name. Understand here, whose name is it that's to be honored in our prayer? Well, wait a minute. God, I kind of want this to be my name. Now, you, re- you look at that and you go, Oh my goodness, that's such so blasphemous. Yeah, it is. And yet, in the scope of our prayer life, how often does, if we're really to evaluate, does that become the reality? God, I really want you to work on my behalf. God, I'd really like you to answer this in the way I want you to answer this. I, I know this is what you said, God, but I'm making a strong-handed suggestion. Yeah, never mind, it's not really a suggestion. I'm just wanting to kind of tell you what to do. No, 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 no. That, that's not at all what Jesus is saying. It is, God, I want your name to be honored. We corporately want your name to be honored. We want your name to be glorified. We do not want this organization to be our focus. We do not want this country to be our focus. We do not want this world to be our focus. We want your glory and your will above anything and everything else. We want you to be honored. Now, once again, this can become something that we just kind of naturally lose sight of. And we might say that every week we gather, we might say, God, that you and you alone would be glorified above anything and everything else. But does that mean we're actually applying that? Does that mean we're actually living that out? And this, in fact, goes one step further where Jesus says, our father in heaven, hallowed, may your name be honored. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Once again, whose 
kingdom, whose will? Everyone say God's. Your. Your. Not our. Your. It is not about us. There is great significance in the fact that we, according to Jesus, are to begin our prayer with our eyes fixed vertically before we jump to the horizontal. Why is that? We are always more prone to focus on our kingdom over God's. Always. In fact, on a, in, a, in a book that I've been reading on prayer, put out by the Nine Marks organization, and if you don't know who they are, I highly recommend them. Their resources are so biblical and so rooted in uh, historical accuracy of the church. Um, I've really come to appreciate their ministry. Uh, it has been life-giving to me as a pastor. Uh, one, of the, one of the statements in this book I'm reading on prayer that just struck me, and it's hard, but I, I, I burdened that it's true. Is the author said that the world today is as uninterested in the presence of God as the person who remains seated when the bride walks down the aisle. And I thought, oh my goodness. You see, there's great conviction in these first statements that identify that our priority should be God's presence over any kind of practical application that we think He should live out in our own lives. When was the last time you were in a season of crisis and you prayed simply for the presence of God before you ever stepped into praying for the solution you wanted in that crisis? That's a question I've been asking myself all week because I am guilty, church, of wanting so much more relating to my own personal kingdom and my own personal will before I ever seek out the presence and the promises of God. We as human people are much more prone to seek out our own kingdom and our own will Over that of God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What do the prayers of our daily life reveal about what we really want? It would be a great personal evaluation question. If we don't pray at all, it reveals in us that we really don't want God to be a part of our day-to-day life at all. If the prayers that take place are more focused around the problems that I see in my own circle of influence, then chances are I'm seeing God more as a genie who I want to answer my request than I am my father who I go to when I'm in crisis. If the focus of my prayers becomes myself and I never stop to reflect on who God is, then I may be Not because I'm aiming for this, but I may be unintentionally becoming a Christian narcissist 
who cares way more about what I think should happen in the world than what God has said will happen. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, a shift happens here in verse 11. Give us this day our daily, everyone say daily. Everyone say daily again. Give us this day our daily bread. In the Western world, what's different about this statement from how we actually pray? When we think about this, I would venture to say that over 99% of you didn't wake up this morning concerned about whether you were going to eat today. In our Western society, we have grown away from a dependence on the Lord. Notice that Jesus here focuses in on today. And this isn't the only place Jesus focuses on today. In fact, if you go to the end of Matthew chapter 6 in your Bibles... Verse 34, Jesus follows up on this and says very specifically, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And in fact, Even further, if you read through this section of Scripture, you'll find that Jesus teaches very clearly that why are you worried about storing up for yourselves treasures on earth? Why are you worried about being fed and clothed? Look at the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. Your father cares for these. And then it says this statement. Are you of not of more value than they? And yet. One of the number one struggles we have church. And this is isolated to a lot of places just in the West. Because we have brothers and sisters around the world. That wake up every day. Not knowing where their meal is coming from for that day. I will never forget a few years back when Brandon and I traveled to Haiti. And it was one of the first times in a long time I've struggled with a frustration towards God. And there was a student right there in Haiti who had stated to us that it had really been three days since their last full meal. But this student was just positive, like, ah, God will provide. It's okay. Church, I was angry. I was angry in light of this. I went, God, what are you doing? Is not this the place for this need to be fulfilled right here and now? And yet at the same moment, I was absolutely humiliated at my own selfishness in my own world. To go, how dare I 
be concerned whether I'm going to have enough money in retirement when I hit 65. Good grief, I don't even know if I'll live that long. Lord Jesus, come soon. Amen? But in the scope of this, now, don't mishear me, church. I am in no way saying that you should be an irresponsible financial manager in your home. No way. What I am saying is you are not promised tomorrow. And there are some of you sitting here today that devote way more time to evaluating the number in your bank accounts than you do in prayer. And you may feel like you are fiscally secure, but you are spiritually in danger. And it's time to shift the perspective. How do we do that? We do that by beginning and saying, Lord, this morning, today, give me what I need today. Because that's what I have. And you know what? I may have concerns about tomorrow. How do I go about not worrying about tomorrow? I focus on today. Because today, there may be some bills that need to be paid. Do I have enough for today? Today, I'm going to eat. Today, I may have some people right in front of me who I could share the gospel with. Focus on today. And also understand there's an emphasis here on need and not want. This does not say, Father, give us this day our daily wants. There's going to be a lot that happens today that you don't want to happen. That's okay. Your prayer should not be for, be for the fulfillment of your wants. And so I challenge you in this. Next time you get out of bed, next time you sit down at a meal together, focus on this. Give us this day our daily bread. Verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In the same way that we should ask for daily bread provision, we should also recognize our daily need for redemption. Now, I want to clarify something. This does not mean that we have to question whether or not we will be forgiven. 1 John 1.9 makes it very clear. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Rather, this should be a further reminder of just how much we need redemption in Christ. None of us are exempt from the pull of our flesh. Without daily pause to reflect on these tendencies and reminding ourselves of our desperate need for the forgiveness of God through Christ, we are prone to let down our guard against the flesh and fall into temptation. In other words, allow your own need for forgiveness in Jesus to influence how you pray. You see, we often bypass this because, you know, at one time in my life, I prayed a prayer and I have confidence in my salvation. Oh, wait a minute. Are you not in the same need for the redemption that is found only in Jesus today? 
You see, we make the mistake oftentimes, church, of only seeking to preach the gospel to those who are lost. And yet, I believe the call of Scripture is that we're to proclaim this truth over each other because we need reminded. You know the passage in Romans 3 that says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know that that book is written to the church, right? There is need for us to recognize you are still prone to fall into your sin. Brothers and sisters, we are so prone and weak. And yet 1 Corinthians 10 reminds us that there's no temptation that God hasn't given us the ability to overcome and given us an escape. And yet if we fail to recognize every single day that we are dependent on the forgiveness that is found only in Jesus, then we are setting ourselves up to just run rampant in our flesh. Now the other side of this that's really kind of humbling is when we see this passage, have you ever really prayed this? It's scary. You see what this says? This says, forgive us our debts as we or in the same way that we also have forgiven our debtors. You know what that means? That means you're to forgive. You're, you're asking, if you pray this like Jesus says, you're asking God to forgive you in the same way that you've chosen to forgive people who've wronged you. Oh my. Now that is scary. That's a scary thought, isn't it? And I can't tell you the number of times I've had conversations with brothers and sisters in Christ who are so confident in their own forgiveness from God and yet they have held a 30-year grudge from another brother or sister. What in the world? How in the world can we expect our understanding of forgiveness to be accurate if we in and of ourselves aren't even willing to apply or live that out? Church family, may this not be so. And I challenge you, even today, and maybe when I said that, immediately, when you, who is it that's wronged you that you have not forgiven in any way, shape, or form? Who is it? Write their name down. Go with haste today. And in fact, Jesus, even further in the same section of Scripture, he says, if, if you come to offer your gift, if you come to worship and you there remember that your brother has something against you, leave. Go be reconciled first and then come and worship. And so I, I actually give you license. If you have someone who is you haven't reconciled with and you're like, oh, I just don't have time next Sunday from 1030 to noon. You go be reconciled to your brother or sister. And you do that before you come back. Because how are we to approach a God of mercy and forgiveness if we're not going to apply that in these other settings? That, then we just become no different than the Pharisees who are hypocritical and what they say is true. And yet, you know what, God, I want you to forgive me. But, you know, those other people, I, don't forgive them. I'm OK if they end up in hell. And unintentionally, that's what we begin saying. God, I want salvation for the people I like. But you know, those people I don't like, they deserve punishment. 
That is not the heart of God. And it's exactly why he sent Christ. And then exactly why Jesus himself said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How do I pray for those who persecute me? Forgive us, corporate, us as the church, our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Challenging, challenging. This last statement. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Simply put, this expands even further on our tendency to fall into the patterns of the flesh. God, today, that you would provide for my needs today. That's all I'm asking. God, that you would Remind me once again of my need for salvation in Christ because that is the only way I have life. And God, today I recognize my flesh, my tendency to pursue after the things of this world. Don't allow me to go there. Deliver me from evil. Church family, the number one evil that you will fight in your life on a consistent basis is yourself. You may think it's other people. Oh, I am struggling where I'm struggling because of this or because of this situation. Uh Uh-uh. No, 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 no. The number one source of wickedness and evil that you will struggle with every single day is you. And it's exactly why you need a Savior. You desperately need a Savior. And the hope and the power and the truth is that God has provided that need for you. His name is Jesus. And he came and he died because you were a sinner. Because we were sinners. And he rose to life to show that death has no power or authority where God dwells. And the promise in Christ is that in Jesus there is hope and life eternal. And if you simply believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to Abba, Father, but through Him. Then He will redeem you from the darkest place you've ever been and bring you to a place of life and joy. Not that this world becomes easier, but my goodness, your hope becomes refocused. So as we think about this thing, as we, as we think about these truths, my prayer is that This resonates with you as it has with me this week. But many people ask, how do I do do this? How do I summarize all of this? Because there's so much here. And I just want to three practical steps. And understand this is how this should be applied corporately, church. This This is how we should navigate this as a body of people. Our Forgive us corporately. Lead us corporately, not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. God, that we would pursue your will. We would honor your name. That it would be together that we're navigating this. And simply, this is just really an outline of the Lord's Prayer in bullet point format. Okay, Start, start by prioritizing the vertical. Begin vertically. What does that mean? 
set aside any of your earthly wants or needs and start by reminding each other who God is. Start by praying His will, not yours. Start by identifying the attributes of God. Begin there. Why? Because then you're way more prone to move into the next sections with a vertical focus instead of this horizontal stuff that is not fulfilling at all. The second piece of this is prioritize today. You want a real easy way to get yourself distracted in your prayer life? Start compounding that to months and years ahead. Now, I'm not saying it's not wise to pray for things that are yet to come. Those of you with young kids, absolutely pray for God's provision of your child's spouse. Absolutely pray that they would come to a place of faith in Christ. Absolutely pray those things. For those of you in other aspects and seasons of life, absolutely entrust those truths to God, those wrestlings to God, those anxieties to the Lord, because He cares for you. But don't allow the focus of your prayer time to be all this stuff that's way out there that we don't even know if we're going to be around to see. What do we have right now? We have today. We have right now. And when you open your eyes in the morning, guess what you have today? We don't know what today will bring, but we're going to walk through it. And lastly, reflect on your redemption. Don't allow your prayer life to move on apart from the very gospel by which you are saved, the good news of your salvation. Do not lose sight of this church family. Because the quickest way for you to become selfish and internalized is for you to lose sight of your salvation. To lose sight of that you are only given life because God in His sovereignty sent His Son to redeem you. May that be the foundation on which we as the church walk faithfully day after day as God gives us breath in our lungs. And may this be the focus that we pass down for generations to come until Jesus returns. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to, you're going to, I'm going to have you remain seated. Um, we're going to sing this song. The worship team is going to sing this song, Forgiven. And I want you to reflect on this. I want you to reflect on the gospel and your redemption Because that's at the root of why we take communion together. And maybe you're here today and you you need to make a decision to surrender to Jesus and you haven't done that. And you recognize, "I, I am a loner. I'm trying to do this myself. And if that's you, I just want to challenge you. I'm going to sit right down here in front. I want to challenge you to come down and, and let's, let's just pray. Let's commit, commit your life to the Lord. You can do that today. Uh, maybe some of you are hearing this and you're evaluating and going, I have utterly lost sight. 
of the salvation that I've been given in Jesus. And I just need to refocus. And I challenge you, come, let's pray. And if there's people that keep coming up for prayer, I just challenge my other shepherds and leaders to come pray with people, okay? But that we would take a moment in this to reflect upon the forgiveness that we've been given in Christ. And to commit ourselves to walking in a way that honors the Lord and seeks to do His will far above our own. And then after that, we're going to take communion together in reflection of this, in celebration of this. And then we're going to close with one last song at the end just to celebrate together the way that has been opened for us through Jesus. Okay? Let's pray and then let's just reflect and let's prepare to take communion together. Father, thank you for the hope of Jesus and thank you that you have made a way where there seemed to be no way. God, we as your people are so easily distracted from who you are. God, may you in this time convict and challenge and bring renewal and hope. And in all of this, that you would be the focus of our attention, that you would be the one who is honored in your church. God, reveal to us any wicked way. And remind us of what has been given, given us in Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.